Uh, where am I going? <laughs> Jeremiah, that's where I'm going. First chapter. <clears throat> Jeremiah, the first chapter. Now, I believe that any of all the prophets, Jeremiah more closely fits in with our situation today. And so what was Jeremiah's on his heart? The judgment of God. The reality of of the judgment of God. Jeremiah lived before the captivity of, Jeru of uh, Judah. He lived during it and he lived after it. So what he's prophesying, he saw it with his own eyes. And that's why hold your place there and look at Lamentations first chapter. The lamentations of Jeremiah are the weepings, the mournings of Jeremiah. In the first chapter of Lamentations, verse 12, here's what, I mean, I've hear, I heard many of us talking like this. Don't people know? Don't they care? Well, here's what Jeremiah says to the, those that are still there in Jerusalem. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by, behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. He's talking about looking on Jerusalem, seeing all the, the captivity and see all the bloodshed and the carrying off of the vessels of the temple. Of the temple. Uh, that's how they got back to Babylon. When Belshazzar was having his gluttonous wine feast using the vessels of the house of God. That's how that happened. Anyway, look at Jeremiah, the first chapter. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Now, there's several times Anathoth is talked about. And also, there's a, there's a time in the book of Jeremiah that Anathoth is going to receive a lot of judgment, harsh judgment. But that's where he was from. Uh, it's a town in the heritage of Benjamin. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. So when was this? Well, Josiah died around 610. So this is some time before that, not very long before that. But Josiah was, was the uh, king of Judah at this time. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. Well, after jo Josiah, Jehoiakim became the king. Unto the, uh, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the 11th year. Of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. Well, 586 B.C. is the date of the captivity of Jerusalem, the carrying away uh, captive. So you see the time frame is in the late 600s B.C. through 586 and a little beyond that. So that's your time frame. That can't be denied. It's know anything about it. That's what it is. Then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now all of these baby murderers ought to be aware of that that uh, those babies in those wombs, 
are not unknown to God. Matter of fact, they are all the creation of God, made in His image. And you dirty, rotten, filthy murderers think nothing about cutting them up, sucking their brains out, starving them to death. I hope that gets somewhere. Anyway, then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Now, Jeremiah did speak, but this is Jeremiah's opinion of himself. I am a child. I've seen uh, uh, old Hafford over me get in the way of preaching, and he'd refer to this. Seen him shed tears over that. Great man, but look what he thought of himself. I'm a child. I cannot speak. Moses did the same thing. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Would to God all those who claim to be preachers would do just that. In this book, you'll see, I read it the other day to, to the church. Even those, there are preachers that have not been called. Men standing probably in big pulpits with big crowds who have not been called by God. But they can do something about that. They can't muster up a call, but they can be faithful to declare the word of God, and God will bless his word. But I don't know how many will do it. People are afraid of the word of God. They've made it the enemy of the people. Brother called me and said he was reading his Bible on his job, on his break, and said the homosexuals reported him, said that it was an offense to them. And he was told that he could read his Bible, but it's in the public schools. Don't let the kids see you. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't abide by that. I refuse to hide my Bible. I refuse to keep my mouth shut about the Bible. If they want to lock me up, they'll have to do it. If they want to cut my head off, they'll have to do it. I'm not shutting up about it. And they ain't big enough to make me. They cut my tongue out or kill me. They can stop me that way. But that's the only way. <clears throat> God says, verse 8, Be not afraid of their faces. <laughs> you ain't lived till you've been preaching and you see some of them faces gritting their teeth at you. And Ireland's shaking their head at you. I've seen it right here. You think I backed down from them? Matter of fact, I quoted that scripture to them. You think you can make me afraid? I'm not saying you can't do something to me. You can. But you can't stop me. See, I have, well, then the Lord put forth his hand. Verse 9. And touched my mouth. <laughs> there's, there's the calling and there's the filling. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth, and I have no right to keep my mouth shut. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. It tickles me. Every now and then these highfalutin preachers are getting a pulpit They'll say now, brethren, we need to not preach a negative message. We must be positive. When well, here's God giving Jeremiah his message, and this day matches our day, and look what God gave him. He said to root out, to pull down. Sounds like a... Demolition contractor, doesn't it? Yeah. To destroy, 
and to throw down to build and to plant. You've got six, six point outline there of what God tells Jeremiah to do. And four points, which would be two-thirds of his command, is absolutely negative. Root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. Then plant, build, and plant. So, two-thirds negative, one-third positive. They ought to get their priorities in order. And they could do that if they just read the word and, and let the word say what it says and repeat it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen. For I will hasten my word to perform it. Now, verse 12 identifies the meaning of the almond tree. Hasten. Same word. So what does the almond tree indicate? God hastening. It's the first one to bloom in the spring. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a seething pot. That'd be a cooking pot. And the face thereof is toward the north. Oh. Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. I believe it's pointing towards Babylon. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord. And they shall come, and they shall set every one his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all the walls thereof, round about, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness who have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, and worship the works of their own hands. This is right straight from the mouth of God, folks. Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise, and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. You get scared of them, see what I do to you. For behold, I have made thee this day, Jeremiah, not Jerusalem, I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Jeremiah's got his work cut out, doesn't he? Well, you know that before they were called prophets, they were called seers. That's First Samuel 9, 9, that they were called seers. The Pope is called, his chair is called the Holy See, but it has nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with this. But they were called seers before they were called prophets. Spurgeon said, a prophet must see before he can speak. And there's what it's talking about. Many preachers today obviously don't see much. Because they ain't saying much. They don't, that's why they don't preach much. They don't see much. And that's why his people perish. 
because there's no vision from God. That doesn't mean we got to get into a big building program where there's no vision, the people perish. The word of God is not there. That's what that means. And to do that the other way is to rest the scriptures. Some preachers, leaders, see nothing. No problem. Nothing going on. Matthew, Jesus said they'd be blind. Blind men don't see much. They'd be blind leaders of the blind. Therefore, they both will fall into the ditch. Better be careful that you're not following a blind leader. You better be following one that sees and preaches the word of God. Some see the wrong thing. Like Nicodemus in John 3. We've talked about this many times. Jesus said, except you be born again, you can't see or enter the kingdom of God. All Nicodemus could see, well, how can a man be born once he's old? <laughs> can he enter again into his mother's womb? I think that's one of the dumbest answers that's ever been given to a legitimate question. Some leaders, some preachers don't see anything, and many others see the wrong thing. And there's some that have a distorted view. Look at Mark chapter 8 real quick. Verse 22, he cometh to Beth, Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and he besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him. Now, see, he didn't put any mud in there. Just put spit on his hand. He asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Well, now he sees a whole lot more than he had seen. But he's seeing a distorted view. I see men as trees walking. Then he finishes the miracle there. And he sees. But I say some see nothing. Some see the wrong thing. And some have a distorted view. They may not have advanced where they should be. But God asked Jeremiah, what seest thou? In verse 11 of our text, did you know that he also asked Amos what he saw? Look at Amos chapter 7. That's on page 972 in my Bible. <laughs> Amos chapter 7. In verse 8, the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. He's talking about judgment. And then he says in chapter 8, verse 2, thus saith the Lord God, showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end has come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. So that's, what he, that's how he dealt with Amos. Well, that was before Jeremiah. But this is how, see, somebody said this morning, I believe it, Brother Dave, in the devotion, God doesn't change. 
And we see evidence of that. That God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed his mind about a thing. Hasn't changed his word at all. So there's Amos. And then Zechariah. Towards the end of the Bible. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is waked out of his sleep. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, the other upon the left side thereof. And so I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he answered, spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm not going to read the rest of that, but this is getting ready for the judgment. Look at chapter 5, verse 2, verse 1 and 2. Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll, the length thereof is 20 cubits, that'd be 30 feet, and the breadth thereof, 10 cubits, that'd be 15 feet. Then said unto me, said he unto me, this is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth, and for everyone that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it, and everyone that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. Dealing with Jeremiah, but he's also dealt with Amos. Now, Zechariah, what seest thou? I think it's important for a prophet to see. And he must see something. He must see it right. So the almond rod, hastening tree, the first that blooms in the spring, and the word for almond and hastening are the same in the Hebrew. And the lesson here for Jeremiah and for Judah and for us is, number one, God never forgets a promise. People are hoping that God will forget his word, whether it be promise or cursing, that God will forget what he has said. Well, lots of kids, they mess with mom and dad so much, and pretty soon they, they, they can di- distract them, sidetrack them. They'll finally forget what they were supposed to do as far as punishing them. Now, have you ever had that dealt? Have you ever dealt like that? I did with my mother, not my dad. But that's what they, they do. They try to get you to forget because they don't want to face the consequences. Well, adults are no different with God. We hope God will forget all about it. But God doesn't forget about it. And when He says He will come, He will not tarry. He'll be right on time, right according to the eternal purpose of God. And when he comes, he will pour out his wrath upon this earth. And way beyond that, we're not going to get out of this world alive, folks, unless the Lord comes and we're raptured out. But unless that, we're not going to get out of here alive. And let me tell you this. We can look at all the revelation and all the prophecies, end times, eschatologically. We can do all of that and get our dots, cro- uh, dots 
dotted and our T's crossed uh, and get right down on the eschatology. And then you die. All of that means nothing to you. Then you face God. Right then. And don't think God has forgotten. The only thing that you can hope for and be sure of is the remission of your sins, the redemption of Christ. That's absolutely all we've got. So God never forgets a promise, whether it be a blessing or cursing. His promises are yea and amen. Look real quick at 2 Corinthians one twenty. Paul says, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. And look quickly back at 1 Corinthians 14. Just turn back a page or two. When Paul is teaching on not having confusion in the assembly of the church, He says, even when they were using, when they had the gift of speaking in foreign languages called tongues, glosso in the Greek, even when they had the gift, there were strict directions for it. And there was only going to be one to speak at a time. Even then, it doesn't exist now. Anybody says they still speak in tongues, they're speaking in devil tongues, demonic tongues. But anyway, Paul was saying, if you've got a bunch of people up speaking at the same time, I was in one service where one man was called on to pray and everybody was praying with him out loud. I didn't bow my head, I didn't close my eyes, and I dead sure didn't say Amen. Bunch of confusions, all that was. Anybody does it, it's confusion. God's not the author of confusion. Anyway, in verse 16, he's talking about if you do all that, if everybody talked at one time, else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? You see, the word amen has a purpose. Let it so be. When you say amen, you ought to know what you're amening. Well, if you can't tell what's been said, how can you say amen? So all of those amens are phony or else they're piling up wrath. We need to have, and all of that was just to show you what the word amen means. And it does have a definite meaning. And that's what it is. We've got to have order in the Lord's church. Now, God never forgets a single per- person to whom a promise belongs. Abraham or Ahab. God doesn't necessarily judge or deliver a promise immediately. It may come, it will come, but it'll come at a later time. Ahab thought he was scot-free until that guided missile found him. Abraham, he received blessings, but he's still got some to come, as with all the children of Abraham. Number three, God never misses a time to deliver 2 Peter 3 says, God is not slack concerning his promise. He will come. He will not tarry. He will be on time. In the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman born under the law. In the fullness of the time, his time. 
There's not one threat that has not or will not be carried out. Not one thing that God has promised. And I'll tell you a big one that's looming right now. We see it in 2 Peter. The flood, I can't believe the, I want to call them idiots. They're, they're intelligent in some respects, but they become plum idiots when it becomes the word of God. There is no lack of evidence for the flood of Noah's day. It's anywhere you are on the face of the earth, including Mount Everest on top of it. But Bill Nye, the science guy, says there's no evidence of a worldwide flood. Yet, they tell you now, I saw something else in one of these news flashes. Uh, they found evidence that there was a global flood on Mars. Now there's not a drop of water on Mars. And yet they say there's evidence of a global flood. This planet is over three quarters water. And were the mountains not there, we would be underwater hundreds of feet deep. Aside from all of the layers, you can drive down the interstate, 75, go down Bluegrass Parkway, and you can look, go 64. You can look at the cut-throughs. Look at the layers of sedimentary rock. And when you dig them, dig them up between those set, those layers full of fossils indicating that something died all of a sudden and was crushed under the weight of that. And the only thing that could possibly answer for that is a global worldwide flood. And they say there's no evidence for it. It's because they are willingly ignorant. Somebody said that means in Greek, stupid on purpose. And I believe that's exactly the right, the right interpretation of that. But in the Second Peter epistle, he plainly says that by the exact same word that God judged this world. When he told Noah, he said, I'm going to destroy all that I have made. All of the people. Now how many people died in the flood? We don't know. There were at least hundreds of millions, if not a couple of billion. Very similar to the population we've got today. And they, every one died in the flood. Only Noah and his family found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God spared them. Plus the animals that he brought aboard the ark. <clears throat> and yes, there is mathematical evidence that the ark was large enough to take all of the kinds aboard. Our, our world dates back to the flood. Now I know we go beyond that, but we bottleneck right there. Now before the flood, we go back to Adam. But you see, all human beings in the world today are descendants of either Shem, Ham, or Japheth, one of the three sons of Noah. God said in Acts 17, Paul said it on Mars Hill, God has made all nations of one blood. That came from Adam, Eve, the mother of all living. And all of them died in the flood approximately 2,500 years before Christ. Approximately 4,300 years, some thereabout. 
you can get down a little closer than that. Anyway, there he says in Second Peter, by the same word. God doesn't mince words. He has reserved this earth in store. Now I know the earth is getting tired. Romans 8 tells us that it creaks and groans waiting for the redemption of the body. Well, I've got news for you. If you haven't started, it won't be long till you will. I creak and I groan. The older you get, you creak and you groan. And I don't want to live forever in this body. I want to live as long as I can live and be useful. And I'm willing to put up with some pain. You better be because you're going to have to put up with it. Because the doctors can't take it all away from you. But I am waiting for the redemption of my body. Amen. Paul said he was looking forward to being unclothed. You know, oh, all kinds of things in the Bible about that. To be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. And then we'll finally be completely saved when he resurrects our old carcass wherever it is. And gives us a new and a glorious body like unto Christ. Then we will be saved both body, soul, and spirit. But not until. Now we're creaking and we're groaning. Just like when the earth spits up a volcano. When it has a tsunami. A tectonic plate movement. Earthquake. That's the earth creaking and groaning. But you see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and I don't understand everything I'm saying, I believe it's true, but not only did he die for all of the sins of all of his elect, he also died for his bride. And he died to redeem the earth because this earth, heaven and earth, is going to be, going to pass away with a great noise. That's the big bang we believe in. It's just on the other end. The going out, not the coming in. He spake and it was done. He created everything from nothing. Bara, special creation. But it's going to end with a big bang. And fire. When did he do that? Well, I at least know that he did it in the days of Noah. Because that's what Peter says. By the same word. When he said I'm going to destroy. The world that I've made. And everything in it. At that time he spoke the same word. Didn't speak twice. One time. He ain't going to speak again. Oh we see an almond rod. Yeah. Hasten. Yeah. Well. We also saw a seething pot. That pot's boiling. They're getting ready to move on you. And the wrath of God is getting ready to move. Well, there's not one threat that has not been carried out or that will be carried out. You can write it down. It's already written down. The almond tree is in haste to bloom and bear fruit. And we see the quickness of God to fill his word. And he will. His threatening nations will hear up to the last. An old man will not only be judged for the first time that he heard the gospel, but he'll be judged for the last time he heard it. That's why it's important for us to preach the gospel to every creature. He said, well, they're old. They still need to hear it. And that, that's not wasted. It's either going to draw them or damn them, judge them. 
Did the Bible say that nations will be turned into hell that forget God? God is quick to deliver on his promises of blessing and salvation. Romans 5 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. 1 John says, behold, what manner of love that the Father has shed abroad upon us, that we should be called the sons of God now. That we should be called the sons of God. The prodigal son. He got out and he went down. When you leave the Lord you go down. That's the only way to go from the Lord. If you're not going toward him, you're going away from him. You're going forward. You're going away from the Lord. And what do you find out there? Remember us watching the CD or DVD of the Pilgrim's Progress. And what all did the Pilgrim encounter? Everything you can imagine. It's all out there. And it's just waiting. Oh, well, I'm different. No, you're not. You're not a bit different than anybody else. It's all waiting for you. But when the prodigal, and I do not believe that he came to his senses on his own. I believe the Lord brought him back to his senses. And when he came back, he wasn't coming back to get his inheritance. He already blew through it. He said, but I, I, I could at least go back and eat, eat the husk of the corn. And he got back there and there was his father waiting on him and killed a fatted calf and welcomed his son home. So God's anxious and he will keep his promises to his elect. But we've got some things we ought to take from this. We ought to be prompt, now listen to this, in obeying God. God, whatever your time scale is, it's not the same as God's. And I guarantee you that God is quick in judging. You may not seem like it to you, but God is quick in judging. And I'll tell you that God is quick in blessing. So we ought to be prompt in obeying God. Uh, what he says do, do. <laughs> now, do it. How much time have you got left? Have you noticed? Almost every day in the news, there's a 20-something-year-old football player, a 30-something-year-old basketball player, dropping dead. All over the place. You can about find those ages in the obituaries of any given day if you, if you check them out. I try to check them out every day. And I do observe that. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of 80, 90, 100 year old. But there's also a world of teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, of all ages. That dropped dead. Uh, seemed to me like I remember a verse of scripture. It seemed like it's in the 21st chapter of Luke. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Do you reckon that could be what's going on? I kind of think so. So. What do we obey God in? Witnessing. So, well I can't bring anybody into the kingdom. No you cannot. Neither can anybody else, John R. Rice or any of them. He didn't tell us to bring people into the kingdom. He didn't tell us to bring a people for God. I believe God said in Acts, he said, 
I have much people in the city. He says that several times. If they come to God, it's because God has already marked them out and brought them by the work of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of His Word. So, what's He say do? Same thing He's been telling us to do for many, many years. Preach the gospel to every creature and don't back up on it. He tells us to be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Do you think you don't need forgiveness? I know we need it from God, but I mean, do you think you don't need it from your wife or your husband, your parents, your children? You think you don't need it? God said even forgiving one another. The Greek, that's alelus, one another. Reciprocal forgiving. Why do we need forgiveness? Because we offend. Do we not? So we need to get things right. We need to be ready to go. Be ready to stay. Be ready to depart. I'm not anxious to die as long as I've got reasonable mind about me. I know I'm on barred time, but I want to stay as long as I can be effective, as I can be a help to others, especially my wife and family, my church. But I'll let you know, I am like Paul. I am ready to depart. I can't go too far my my condition. I have gone far. I'm still trying to go far with the word. But I'm also ready to stay, whatever. We sing that song, Ready to Suffer, are we? That's one of the most condemning songs I know that we sing. Ready to suffer, ready to go, ready to stay, ready to do His will. Are we ready to do it? Well, that's what the almond tree taught Jeremiah. And he in turn related to Jerusalem. Don't think it did much good on them. But I'm doing it for us because I believe that's what we need. And then you see out mm, verse 13. The word of the Lord came unto me the second time saying... What seest thou? And I said, a seething pot. And the face thereof is toward the north. And the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdom of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come. They shall set every one his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem. And against all the walls thereof round about, and against all the cities of Judah. In other words, you don't have any protections against that evil that's boiling up in the north. And I, God says, I will utter my judgment. He'll do it through the Babylonians. Habakkuk said he raised his sword. He's got his sword. Ezekiel said his sword is sharpened, it's furbished, it's polished, and sharpened. You don't want a rusty sword going into battle. You want it polished, you want it to glisten. You want, when you go to fight with that sword, you want the sun to blind somebody's eyes off of it. But you want it sharp, that you don't have to swing it too hard. That it'll, it'll do what it's got to do without you swinging it so hard. Sharp, and God said his sword is furbished, and it is sharpened. And look what he said. Against all of their wickedness, who have forsaken me. Are there any in this country who have forsaken the Lord? I keep hearing them say, 
Well, we need to pray for God to deliver this country. I think it's too late for that. I don't think 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. I don't think that tells us to do that. That told Israel to do that in Solomon's day when they were dedicating the temple and the whole nation of Israel was gathered together offering and praising God for his meeting place. I see my country trying to shut down God's meeting places. I see my country trashing the Bible and they've made it dirty reading. They've made it enemy number one. The Bible and anybody that preaches it. Am I not telling the truth here? Politicians making laws against us, trying to force us to accept abominations unto God. That's where the, no, I'm not praying for God to deliver this country. I'm praying for God to spare us through this. And who have burned incense unto other gods. Let me tell you, there's only one God. And this is his book. And anything that you're involved in that is against God, against his word, you're burning incense to other gods. And worship the works of their own hands. Do you know what people say about the Bible? Well, we, we've done excavations. And we've got some broken pieces of pottery that tell us, and it doesn't agree with the Bible. Then you had to make a choice between a broken piece of pottery and some heathen writing something on that pottery that has nothing to do with anything and you accept that over the, the proven word of God and that's where we are right now. Well, be careful, folks. As we see, as we look, we're liable to see that seething pot. That seething pot may be boiling over right now. God help us to see that. Let's